And then one day it was a little bit difficult to actually get the prescription painkillers, the Percocets that I was into. And I had a friend that I was getting them from, and he said, well, well, I got heroin that you can try. I got bags of dope that you can try. And it's basically the same thing. It's the opiate, gives you the same high. And I didn't even really think twice about it. I said, yeah, I'll try it. All of a sudden, I was laying on my back, and I saw all the paramedics, police officers around me. All I could hear is voices saying, Isaiah, stay down, Isaiah, stay down. You just had an overdose. And when the paramedics reported to the scene, actually, I was breathing two breaths per minute. I remember being there and I was sitting down and I was looking around me and I was seeing guys pray. I was looking at the altar and I said to myself in my heart, I need to make a decision with my life. Well, Isaiah is awesome to be here in your home, in your home state. Thank you so much for having us. If people who are watching right now don't know who you are, have never met you, if you could just introduce yourself very quickly to those who are watching. Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity to be with you as well, Eric, and to be a part of this ministry, touching lives in this way. So I'm Isaiah Sievers. I was born and raised here in Bennington, Vermont. This is my hometown. This is where I grew up in. And I know every street corner here. I've lived here all my life. And uh, this is where I was born and raised. Awesome. Now, Isaiah, you have a powerful testimony that I've been hearing in multiple countries now. <laughs> I heard about it in India. I heard, it about, I heard about it in Germany. And we finally got here to Vermont to hear it here in person. Before we get to that moment where Jesus completely transformed your life, um, I would love for you to talk to us about your life before Jesus, mm. starting with your childhood. Did you grow up in a Christian home? What did that look like for you growing up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did grow grew up in a Christian home. And uh, I remember going to church when I was young with my family. Uh, both of my parents were saved. They were Christians. And uh, we used to go to church when we were very, very young and uh, knew the families in the churches. And uh, I used to run around and play outside and look for bugs and things like that when I was in the church and all that. And uh, very involved in that. And uh, when I was growing up and getting older, about the, around the age of 14 I was, uh, my parents ended up getting a divorce. Uh, I think in that time of going through that, we stopped going to church. Um, we used to have dinners together, family time together, and it seemed like a lot of that started to break away. Bit by bit, it started to break away from that. Um, then we started to not go to church as often, and it came up that we were, my parents were gonna end up having a divorce at the age of 14. And uh, I have an older brother, a younger sister. So us three siblings was very difficult, confusing, hard to understand all of that at that time, especially at that age. Yeah. Um, so how, how did that uh, in that time when that when this was happening, how did that make you feel personally witnessing that? Yeah. I think for me, it was very hard to deal with those kind of emotions at that age and, and to see that because my parents were very loving. They loved us, they 
I, I, I remember having great memories with my families. Uh, we always used to go do things every summer together. We had these, uh, you know, get family gatherings together and things like that. I always remember my mother telling us, the children, that my mom and dad, they're like together like glue. And when I heard that, I, I believed that. And my parents loved each other and they loved us. So when I was hearing that and I was seeing that, I was like, my, fa my family is together. And uh, so when I started to be exposed to the divorce, when it was coming on, it was very difficult for me to understand exactly what was going on, mm. especially coming from the Christian background. You know, and hearing that from my mother, I, th I thought that my family would be together like glue, like I heard. So it was hard to deal with some of those emotions and it was hard to really speak it out. So I, I ended up keeping a lot of that inside and I started to feel that the family became a little bit dysfunctional, actually. So it was, it was hard to express a lot of that and yeah. those feelings. How, how did your life change after that or from that moment growing up now, obviously mm. your parents are no longer together and I'm sure there's a lot of different things that are going on around you in teenage mm. years, but what happened from there? Actually, the way that the divorce went was unlike any divorce that you would hear about. It was mm. really, really different than any kind of divorce. My parents, when they split apart, we have a two-story house there and uh, we used to rent the top story to a tenant there. And then when my parents split off, my dad actually moved upstairs and my mother lived downstairs. Wow. So I could always see my parents and they did that actually for the kids' sake. And so I was always able to see my father. I was always able to see my mother. I didn't have to pick what parent I wanted to live with. Mm. And uh, so that, that was much better than what I was expecting it to be that we were always able to see that. And so I, as I was growing up, I became friends with people from school and uh, I got really into, you know, skateboarding and, and going around town everywhere. And that's why I mentioned, I know every street because I've been on all of them. And uh, so I, I grew up with a group of friends who also were going through those same experiences, but we never always talked about that. We were just, running around, skateboarding, getting kicked out of places from the police, and, you know, like, kind of causing trouble around town and things like that. And uh, that's how it was like when I was growing up in the streets of Bennington here. Mm. Now, um, Isaiah, you, your, your testimony deals with a lot of darkness that happened here in your yeah. hometown. You yeah. experience a lot. Yeah. Uh, take us through that. Uh, yeah. How did you get into that place where you became addicted to drugs and to these other things. Yeah, yeah. So when I was growing up I, around the, that kind of group of people, and uh, when I was around that same age of 14, I got into smoking marijuana for the first time over at a friend's house. And uh, we just wanted to smoke. Just wanted to get high, uh, never experienced it before, but wanted, had a desire to try something like that. I didn't uh, feel like I wanted to do it because of the pain and hurt that wasn't going through my mind, but I wanted to smoke weed. I wanted to try it. 
And uh, when I was going through that and I was smoking uh, with the group of friends and I saw that we were having a good time and it was fun and enjoyable and I enjoyed the high, I, I just took off on that. I always continued smoking weed. Every opportunity that I got to smoke weed, I wanted to take that. And it, it progressed from that. I was smoking weed all the time. By the time I was in high school, actually, I was uh, smoking marijuana every single day when I was going through high school. I was always high, man. I remember walking down the streets of Bennington, walking to my high school, smoking a joint with friends that I was there with and uh, started selling marijuana and uh, started making you know, good money, especially for somebody at an age like that. I never saw the need to work or, or find a job or anything like that. Uh, I, I was really into selling drugs and selling marijuana and drinking alcohol on weekends and things like that. And a lot of that was consuming me. That was my lifestyle. That's what I wanted to do at that time. And I think this is where really a lot of that that darkness started to come in with the drugs and the alcohol and the partying and things like that. That's when it really started to take off, was in, in the time of being in high school. When I was going through that lifestyle, and, and like I mentioned, I never saw the need to find a job because I was, I was making money. I had money, I could buy whatever I want, I could go out to dinner whenever I wanted to and all that kind of stuff. And it was fun, I liked it, but I never saw a future. I never had the thought in my mind that I wanted to do further education for myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming in junior year of high school, senior year of high school, and I couldn't think of anything I wanted to do when I got out of high school because I was so into what I was doing that day, the drugs that I had to sell that day, the money that I had to make that day. That was my life, man. That's what I wanted to do. So I never saw a future. I never saw a hope. When I was going through high school, I had difficult times with learning and things like that. I had hard time reading, hard time writing. And a lot of that, I'm sure the drugs did not help with that, especially with being high every single day. But I just learned differently. And the effects of the drugs definitely was a great hindrance for me as well. So knowing that in my mind, that I'm not capable of really learning anything, more, more education in my life, I think that really put a, a, a damper on my heart, put me down really badly. So I, I, I was like, man, you know, forget it. I'll just do what I'm doing now. And uh, so I was going through that, but then I started to get a little bit of a thought that, man, maybe I should do something, at least when I get out of high school to start some kind of job. And there's a program through the school where you can do different career jobs and things like that. And I was influenced by a friend actually to pick up culinary and I was cooking uh, in the school. There was a cl class that just opened up for cooking. So I took that class and I was cooking in the, in the class and I was learning about cooking and I started to, you know, use my hands and I, I really like doing that and building things and making stuff. And, and of course it's with food. So that was nice. And, uh, and then I thought to myself, maybe I should try to get a job doing culinary. And uh, I pursued that and I got a job at, a, at like a, it was like a bar pub place uh, nearby, just 15 minutes from here. 
and I started working there for nine months I was in there but the whole time I was always smoking weed I, I was drinking and when I was at work I used to run back in the cooler and drink as many beers as I could <laughs> before I had to come back out and uh, continue working but uh, you know a lot of long nights staying up from the dr from doing drugs and, and then going to work and stuff like that and uh, I actually started working two jobs with restaurants mm -hmm. I was pulling doubles on some days and uh, was working a lot of hours at the first job that I had so I started to get into that and uh, I felt like I wanted to do some kind of schooling with that and I pursued that so I started to look into some colleges for doing culinary school and uh, the one college that I had looked into that was going to accept me, in fact, I wasn't able to do like a, a two-year or a four-year or a higher education because of my grades in high school, because they were so poor. Wow. Uh, the only thing that I was able to do was a certificate program. So I would be at school at the college for three months and then I would be able to go on an internship for three months and I could go anywhere that I wanted to for the internship. So I was seeing really nice opportunities to go on an adventure or to, to travel or to go somewhere. And, and that really turned me on to that. And uh, so I, I did that, I pursued that and I did the certificate program and uh, I ended up moving down to South Carolina and I lived there for two years actually in South Carolina in Greenville and uh, and I was working at a very um, prestigious restaurant very good place very popular for that city there if you look at it, it's called Sobeys table 301 it's popular people know that down there and that's where I was working at and I and I became very skillful I learned the most at cooking when I was down in South Carolina and I was living there for those two years but that whole time, again, my life was still the same. I was still smoking weed, I was getting into cigarettes, and I was able to actually go into bars because the people that I worked with, they were of age, and I was always able to get into those things. And uh, so I started to be exposed to that kind of scenery, the bar scenery, the late nights, and, and the drugs, of course, they were always there. And uh, that was my life. Um, but I did have some, some work ethic to actually be physically fit at the same time. Imagine that, you know, guys smoking weed every day, but still having a desire to, to work out and to go to the gym. And I was exercising a lot, and uh, I learned that actually my brother taught me to do that. And uh, that piece also never left me. I wanted to do that. And, and then I ended up moving back up to Vermont. And when I was up here in Vermont, um, I did the same thing again, you know, I pursued the culinary career and I was working at the Equinox in Manchester, only 30 minutes away from, from my hometown here. And uh, that is actually a very historical uh, place, that, that hotel there. In fact, Abe, uh, Abe Lincoln, the president, he stayed in that hotel before. Mm. Um, so it was a very well-known hotel, very popular, very busy, very, very busy. And uh, so I started to work there. And, and again, like I always did, I, I progressed in my, in my culinary skills and, and learning the kitchen and going up and working and everything. And, uh, but I was reconnecting also with old friends as well. 
partying heavy on the weekends, man. We used to buy alcohol and we used to see how much we could drink. All of us would buy a fifth of, of liquor and we would just drink that throughout the night to see really how much we could drink. And it was, man, it was crazy. I remember oftentimes, you know, getting so drunk and, you know, waking up at home or at my friend's house and you're just so hungover. And, and man, that was just always repetitive, repetitive. It was always like that, man, all the time, every yeah. weekend like that. Now, Isaiah, there was um, a moment where also things got deeper. It went from from alcohol and, and you went a little bit deeper. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about more of that reaching that rock bottom? Because you had to reach rock bottom. What did yeah. that look like for you? Yeah, so when we got deeper into that, we would be partying and stuff, and I got exposed to pres prescription painkillers. I was always really against that. Um, my sister had a, had a struggle with that, and by God's grace, she was able to come out of that. Um, so I was really turned off to things like that because I saw how it, it affected my family. And I was always like, no, no, I don't want to do it. I'm not into that, you know, and I'll stick to the alcohol and the cocaine, whatever, you know. And uh, but, you know, peer pressure, <laughs> peer pressure from the friends. They were encouraging me to try. So I did end up trying it. And man, that set me off. I was like, I, I enjoyed it. The, what I was mixing it with, it was my thing. That's, that's what I liked. I liked the feeling that it was giving me. It gave me a feeling of confidence. I was enjoying the time more than ever before. And uh, so I, I took off on that. And, uh, you know, instead of just doing it on the weekends, I wanted to do it throughout the week. I wanted to take a couple pills with me to work because when I would take them after those long nights, you know, my feet would be hurting and all that. I would just, man, I'd be jacked up and I'd get my job done. And, and I saw that it was like I was benefiting off of that and I was enjoying it so much. And I just started to continue to take that and to get them as much as I could. And then, and then one day it was a little bit difficult to actually get the prescription painkillers, the Percocets that I was into. And I had a friend that I was getting them from, and he said, well, well, I got heroin that you can try. I got bags of dope that you can try. And it's basically the same thing. It's the opiate, gives you the same high. And I didn't even really think twice about it. I said, yeah, I'll try it. I'll take that. And Did you have any, any uh, idea of how destructive that could be at that know, time? In that time, man, when I was going through all that, and I was taking those drugs and I knew how it felt, I didn't really think of the consequences at all. Especially when you're already like a, a, an addict who's using, even though I wasn't physically addicted to the pain pills, I, I was mentally addicted to that. I wanted to have that. Mm -hmm. So even whatever consequences it was going to bring, I wasn't thinking about it. I just wanted to jump into that. At first when he brought it to me, I would rather have the prescription pain pill. I didn't want to really go out of my way to get that, but it was available and it was before me and I knew that it was going to get me high like I wanted. So that's why I went and, and took that, not thinking about the consequences or anything like that. Not even thinking like that I would end up getting addicted to it. I thought it would be the same play like it is with the prescription painkillers that I would be able to avoid something like that and just take it from time to time and not get the actual physical addiction. But then uh, when I started to get into it and I, I had a connection to actually get it all the time 
And then within one week of taking it every day, uh, I became physically addicted to it. And then I needed it every day. And I uh, was buying, spending my money on it, all the money that I was earning through my jobs. I remember getting a paycheck. And two weeks later, I get another paycheck. I haven't even spent the first one. You know, I, I didn't have really anything that I was spending money on. I had money in the bank and I was doing well. But man, once I got physically addicted to the heroin and that I actually needed it in my life to function, to go to work, to wake up. That was probably the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of the end of that. I just always needed it every day. Now, there was a moment that, which is the moment that I kept hearing about while I was in India, while I was in Germany, that you almost lost your life. Yeah. Can you just take us into that moment of almost losing your life yeah. in that and what Jesus had to do to completely transform your life. You know, I got so deep into the addiction that nothing around me mattered. And I was destroying my family and I was stealing from my house. I wasn't allowed to stay at home anymore. And I was doing a lot of illegal activity and drug trafficking and things like that. And I got so deep into the addiction that I ended up having my, my first overdose from the drugs and uh, was actually just five minutes down from here. I remember taking the drugs and all of a sudden I was laying on my back. I was in my car and then I was laying on my back and I saw all the paramedics, police officers around me. And I remember waking up from that. I, all I could hear is voices saying, Isaiah, stay down, Isaiah, stay down. You just had an overdose. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh man, you know, I'm trying to get up and I'm all dizzy and they're like, just stay down, just stay down. And they brought me to the hospital. And um, I remember being so ashamed, so mad, so angry with my life that it got this far. My addiction had brought me this far, man, that I had that overdose. And when the paramedics reported to the scene, actually, they said, I have a medical record from Southwest Vermont Medical Center that has a medical report that said, I was breathing two breaths per minute. When they were telling me that, I was so upset that this is my life, that eventually these drugs are going to take my life. I was so mad about that. And, uh, and I actually have been in different rehabilitation centers. I actually have been in different detoxes. The first uh, program I went into was a two-week program. And it was a secular program. No God or no anything like that. I finished the two-week program and I went back into the streets and went right back into the drugs, went right back into using the drugs. Finally, you know, my, my parents, they were trying to help me along this way of trying to get help and things like that. My dad was always encouraging me to go to Teen Challenge program because uh, both of my parents had a cocaine addiction and they met the Lord in Teen Challenge and they were delivered from that drug. 
And Teen Challenge is a big international, worldwide, global ministry that helps addicted people. This was the first place he was trying to get me to go to. And I always rejected that. It was like 15 month program. I never wanted to go to something like that. I always wanted the easier way out. As addicts, that's the way you think. You always want an easier way. You always want to take shortcuts. You always want something more easier to be dealt with. And I never wanted to go there. I would want to try other places. Another rehabilitation program I went into was actually a faith-based program. And I went there. And uh, I, we went to church and we prayed and, and all that stuff. And I actually remember saying a sinner's prayer asking Jesus to forgive my sin and asking Jesus to come into my life because I heard about God and I asked him to come into my life when I was high on drugs. I was saying this stuff to a, a, a friend that was there in the program. And the next day I'm using it. I'm still using drugs. I'm still doing that. And I didn't last a week, two weeks there. A week and a half I got kicked out of that place because I continued to use drugs in there. I was harming the people around me as well. And uh, that's when it, it really got worse, you know. That's when I had that overdose, the reported overdose. And uh, I was in the hospital, and my father came to visit me in the hospital at that time. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there in the room. Everything's quiet. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. And uh, there's nothing to be said. Everything was said. I was like at the end of my rope at this time. And we're just looking at each other. No words. He looked at me and he said, why don't you just try to go to Teen Challenge? And when he said that, I was like, fine, I'll go. But I was mad. I was mad that I was going to go into the Teen Challenge. But in this moment of desperation, I knew in my heart that I had to go somewhere that I had to do something because I've reached that bottom. I just had that bad overdose. I almost lost my life. All these things are happening to me. And I knew that I had to go somewhere and do something. And I didn't care where it was. I didn't care if I went to another secular program. I didn't care if I got on Suboxone for the rest of my life. I didn't care if I had to go to the methadone clinic every single day at 6 o'clock in the morning. I didn't care what I was going to do or where I was going to go. And when he said that, just give it a chance. I said, okay, I'll go. But I was upset. <laughs> I was mad that I had to do that. We called them that day. And... Uh, the guy, the mission guy, he answers the phone and we explain the situation to him. And I talked to him and I said that I wanted to go. And, in, and they said, we have a bed here waiting for you. How soon can you come? We said, we can be there today. It was a three hour drive to go up there for the Vermont Teen Challenge program. Within four hours, I was in the Teen Challenge program. They took me in just like I was. I remember being there and uh, <laughs> there was a guy that was there and he looked at me, first time he ever saw me. And he looks at me and he goes, you look like a good kid. Why are you here? You know, <laughs> why are you here? You know, because I was, I was a good kid. You know, I, I, I got along with people. I, I was friendly with people. That was just like my personality. 
You know, I wanted to be nice around people. I was comfortable around people. I, I could talk to people, you know. I wasn't really afraid of that kind of stuff. And <laughs> for some reason, he could see that on me. Uh, they were having prayer, like uh, every morning they would have a chapel and they would have prayer time together. They would have like a little devotion at the end before we would start our day. Six, uh, 5.45, we wake up and uh, we start getting ready. The first thing we do is we would go into the chapel and we would actually have our private prayer time with all the guys there, just, just a guy campus, only, only guys there. And uh, we would have prayer every morning. I remember being there and I was sitting down in the chair and I was looking around me and I was seeing guys pray. I was seeing people pray and I was seeing people kneeling down at the altar and I was watching all of this stuff. I was looking at the altar and I said to myself in my heart, I said, man, I need to make a decision with my life. I need to make a decision. Either I go back into my old lifestyle doing the only things that I know, possibly lose my life from this drug addiction or, or be in jail or whatever it may be, that's all I know, or I choose Jesus Christ because I, I heard about God. I heard about Jesus. My dad read through the Gospel of John with me, so I knew the story of Jesus and hanging on the cross, and his blood being shed. And I said, man, I need to choose Jesus. And I got up from that chair, I went to the altar, and I knelt down on the altar, and I just started saying to God, and I was apologizing for everything that I did wrong. I was saying that I was sorry for hurting my family. I was sorry for all the illegal criminal activities I was doing, breaking into homes and, and doing all that kind of stuff and suicidal thoughts. And I remember one time I broke into somebody's home and I found a gun and I thought that I wanted to end myself with that. You know, I had all of those thoughts, all of those feelings and emotions, and I was giving all of that to him. All of those things. And I was saying that I was sorry to God. And in that moment, I've never experienced God before like that. He came into my life. He forgave me of all those things. And I never experienced that forgiveness and that deliverance from all that. It's like a burden was lifted off my heart for the first time I was experiencing something like that. Something that I've been looking for for a long time. And God was faithful to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. Bible tells me that. And in that moment, I, I felt that. In that moment, I truly believed that Jesus really entered into my heart and started to come alive in my life. And <laughs> I remember leaving that altar and leaving the chapel, and man, I felt so good. <laughs> I felt so good. And uh, I was going through the program, and it was one of the hardest things that I ever had to go through was going through Teen Challenge. It was very difficult.
You know, they had work crews. You wake up, we'd pray, we'd eat breakfast, we'd go out, we'd do work, landscape, and different kind of ministries that we would do. And it was very hard, very difficult. But when I had that encounter with God, when I had that experience, man, you, you couldn't stop me from completing this program. There was nothing you could say, nothing you can do that was going to hinder me from completing this program. Man, I had that determination in my heart to complete that. No matter what I had to go through, I was going to finish it. Yeah. That was my mindset, now, my attitude. In that moment, Isaiah, what were you going through? Because you're, you're coming off all of these things too. Yeah. And, you know, you're dealing with, uh, with all of these addictions. So it's physically, what was your body going through? Was Jesus able to take that all away and you didn't feel any pain or withdrawal? Or were you struggling with getting clean? How, yeah. was, how was that for you? Actually, it was, it was very difficult. Actually, I still had to go through the withdrawals. It's not like it was all gone. It was all delivered from me. I still had to go through the detox. And uh, for a month straight, man, I didn't sleep right. I was uh, always tossing and turning in my bed in cold sweats and, and uh, you know, just going through all that kind of stuff. But throughout the day, when I was going throughout my day, I actually started to feel much better. But always at night, I really didn't sleep well. So I had to go through that detox process. That's what I said. When I, I, no matter what I had to go through, I was willing to do that. I knew that I didn't want to leave this place because I could leave at any time. But I had to go through that, man. You had to go through that. I was done with the shortcuts. I was done with trying to make this easy. I said, man, if I have to go through this, I will go through that. So I didn't sleep right for like a, week, a month. I was going through the detox and I was able to overcome that. I started sleeping better and then I was totally gone from that. And God really wiped away the desire to use the drugs or drink the alcohol. I had no desire. That was delivered from me at an instant. The detox I had to go through, but I did in no way did I want to do anymore. I was like, I'm done. I hate this. And I was done with that. So that part came, that, that deliverance came in my heart where I was like, I don't want to touch any more of this stuff. The detox I still had to go through. Yeah. The deliverance from the desire. I love what you mentioned to me in conversation of what the doctor told you. <laughs> if you could share that. I was trying to get on Suboxone, which is basically like a synthetic heroin. It's, it's what uh, opiate users would take to help them to stabilize them from not going through detoxes. The trouble with that is that the Suboxone itself is more addictive than the heroin. And it's much harder to get off the Suboxone from what I've heard through other people who have gone through that. And methadone also the same. So I was seeking that. I wanted to get on that. I wanted that easy way out, of course. So I knew that you could go through your doctor if you were struggling with opiate addiction, and you can ask them if they can write you a prescription of the Suboxone to get prescriptions for that. Um, so I, I wanted to do that, and I went to my doctor to do that. 
And I was sharing with him about my addiction, and I said, you know, could you get me Suboxone so that I can take that so I won't take the heroin? And this is before Teen Challenge? Or? This was all before right, Teen right, Challenge. When you were, yeah. yeah, this mm -hmm. was when I was still in the addiction and bouncing in and out of rehabs. And uh, so I wanted to get that so that I could be stable, so I could function and, and do what I needed to do throughout the day. And I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and I'm sharing that with him. And he was really against Suboxone. He had other doctor friends that told him, oh, it's good and this and that, but he was really against it. And uh, so I wasn't really going to get anywhere with him. And, uh, but he told me this. This is a very intellectual man. Very, uh, he's been a doctor for many, many, many years and very intellectual man, very smart guy. And uh, he was telling me, he said, even if you get through the physical addiction from the opiates, he said, you will always be mentally addicted to the opiates. Your brain will always crave the opiates because it's been chemically adapted to the opiates. For the rest of your life, you will have that addiction in your mind mentally. And he told me those things. This is a guy who knows the science to it. He knows the chemicals, the chemistry in your brain. He knows all of that. And he told me that. But when I encountered Jesus, he wiped all of that away. All of that was gone. I was completely delivered from the mental addiction that science said you will be addicted for the rest of your life. That is the power of my Jesus. He is the one who did that for me. I didn't do any of that. I just came to him. He was the one that delivered me from that. And no longer, man. I have no desire for opiates, for cigarettes, for alcohol. God completely wiped those things away. Hard to understand, really. But it's the truth. That's what Jesus did for me in that time. How old were you at that time, Isaiah? I was 23 when I was going through those addictions. Yeah, 21 was a big, you know, able to drink and all that. And I started experimenting with the drugs for a couple of years. And by 23, I was really addicted into the heroin. For a good year and a half, close to two years, I was like that. About a year and a half, I was physically addicted. At the age of 23, was doing that. Yeah. Wow. And you're 28 today. Now I'm 28. Yeah. 28 years old. Now the Lord has done an incredible work in your life. And there's so many things that have happened in the last five years. In your younger years, as you were sharing, you mentioned that you didn't see a future. That wasn't something you could see. There was like a hopelessness there. Mm. In your life after Jesus, that obviously has changed. Yeah. What did Jesus begin to do in your life after coming out of Teen Challenge and mm -hmm. uh, recovering from the drugs? What did yeah. he begin to do in your life and show you? So actually, when it was still in through the Teen Challenge program, I was starting to come to the end of my program there. I was almost at the end of completion. I had three months left. And I start, those, those thoughts started to come back. I started to think, man, what am I going to do when I get done with this? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do with my life? Now that I have Jesus, what is my calling? I started to ask those questions inside my heart and, and talk to God about that. You know, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What is it that you have for me? And I had to go through those emotions and those thoughts. You know, God had to bring me through that. 
before he was going to really reveal what he was going to do with my life. And I remember calling my mother <laughs> and I was talking to my mom on the phone when I was in the program and I was saying those things to her. And she says, Isaiah, you know, you still have three months left of the program. Let's, let's just see what God will do and just pray to him and seek him in this time. Boy, was that excellent advice from my mom. And I, I took that advice to heart, and, I, and that's what I did. I started praying, I started asking God, you know, what He wants me to do before I leave uh, the program, because in my mind, I had these thoughts, you know, I'd get done with the program, I'd become a member of the church, I'd go to church on Sunday, I'd work throughout the week, and I'd just have a normal Christian life. That's how I thought. That's what I wanted. That's what I thought my life was going to be like. When I was in the Teen Challenge program, God really did a miracle when I was in the program. Every three months, you're allowed to go home on pass. You can go home for like a day or maybe two days. When I was going through that, I was invited actually by uh, Uncle Yesapadam, a man that I have known my whole life. And uh, he knows my dad. He has a relationship with my father for many, many years. And in fact, they actually met in the Teen Challenge program. Uncle Yosipadam was visiting, and he met my father in the program, and they became really good friends together. And uh, so he knew my whole family growing up. And I used to see him every year. And uh, he knew I was in the Teen Challenge program at this time. And he was actually going to go to Germany for evangelistic tent meetings there. And he invited my father and I to go. He actually paid for our plane tickets to go out there. And mind you, I'm still in the Teen Challenge program. And you can only go on pass, go home for every three months for like a day or so. And I went up to my pastor, the director of the Teen Challenge, Vermont and Connecticut, actually. I was presenting that to him, and I was sharing that with him. And I said, uh, you know, I was invited to go to Germany for like a missions trip with my father. And, and you know, Pastor Rick, he knows my dad, and, and you know, they, he knew him. He looked at me, and he said this. He said, Isaiah, I would not want to take something like that away from you. That's what he said. I mean, it was, it was all God in there. And I, 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 I truly believe that this was actually the first time in history that somebody was allowed to leave Teen Challenge program for 20 days and leave out of the country to go to a different country. I haven't heard that from anybody else in Teen Challenge program before. So that itself is a miracle to do something like that. But this is how God was working. And we went out to Germany. We were there for 20 days. We were exposed to these tent meetings. We saw what the work that God was doing in Love and Care Ministries in Germany. And my dad is a part of Love and Care here in Bennington, Vermont for many years. And uh, we were out there. And the, the first day we were there was a Thursday. And we saw the, the tents that were going up. We saw that. And then we went over to a Jesus house service that they were having. 
And uh, they have a, every Thursday they have a service called Jesus House Service and they welcome people from the streets. They bring them inside the home and they share the word of God with them and they feed them. And it's like a, like a family there that takes place and they, they feel that. And uh, so we went there because the service was going on. And as we were walking in, the door was being opened and I was way in the back. And all the way in the back, I saw this beautiful young girl way back there. And I thought to myself, man, she looks pretty. And uh, I got to know her. Her name was Taisia. And uh, we, she was involved in the ministry actually there. And uh, so we got to, to know each other. She actually became my, my future wife in the future there. And uh, so we were, we were all there in, in the ministry. We stayed there for the 20 days. Before I left, Uncle Yesapadam, he asked me, he said, Isaiah, I want you to come back to Germany to do disciple training here in Germany for four months. And when he said that to me, I felt like that was God for me. That was my exit plan for Teen Challenge. When, when I heard that, I had no questions in my mind. I didn't have to think about it long. I didn't even really have to pray on that. I just knew that this was God. I knew that I should do this. And instantly I said, yeah, why not? I'll do that. That sounds great. It sounds exactly what I was really seeking for and praying for. So I go back to Teen Challenge and I share my plans with them, my experience in Germany, and that I was going to go to Germany to continue my discipleship training there. And uh, you have to have an exit plan before leaving Teen Challenge and they link you up with the church and they try to help you before you leave and stuff so that you're established on the outside of the program. And I remember one time this guy who, who was a staff member of Teen Challenge and I was sharing my exit plan with him and he goes, well, where are you gonna go to church? And I said, I said, brother, I will be living in the church. I will be there on the campus in the ministry. I will be living at the church. Man, they couldn't believe it. It was hard to understand all of what God had set up for me. But man, God did all that for this ex-drug addict. He set that up for me. He set my life up from the beginning when I was leaving Teen Challenge. Step by step, he established my steps. He established me. I finished the program, I graduated it 2019, October 18th. I walked the stage and the first thing, you're allowed to say something in a big ch uh, chapel there. All the New England centers go there to do the graduation service and they have church services and things. And they have these, and you're allowed to share briefly five seconds, you know, at the end of your graduation. And I said, I'm leaving this Teen Challenge program with the greatest thing ever, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I meant that. Man, I meant that. When I was going through that program, man, I saw so many people fail. So many people give up. So many people leave. As I was going through that program, we lost two brothers to overdose addiction. One of them was also very dear to my heart. More of them I hear about now that I'm out. I hear about people leaving the program, overdosing, dying, leaving people with children, with dads, with families, you know, because they're so addicted. And they go back. 
but I was leaving that place with the relationship with Christ. That was the key. That's what I came to understand. That's what I came to know. That's what my success was in the program. I completed that because I had that relationship with them. I wanted that. And then I was home for a short time for a month with my family. And then I got sent to Germany. And uh, while I was there, actually a church, local church here, Pastor Dale, his church paid for half of my plane ticket to go back to Germany. And uh, man, I'm very thankful for them, for that church. They, they really love us. They supported me. They helped me out. They prayed for me. I was on their prayer list when I was in the program, when I was addicted, when I was in the program. And they invested their money and their time, their prayers into my life. I got sent back to Germany and I was there and I was going through that. It was almost like a whole nother program now. I completed Teen Challenge, I was home for a little bit, and I was back into a, another one, another discipleship training. And, uh, and I was doing a lot of the works around the, the campus there, and I, I remember I was there for like two weeks, or maybe it was like the first week I was there, and I had such a desire in my heart to learn more from God. And uh, I remember looking at Michael, who is the, the president, the leader of the Love and Care Ministries there, and I remember looking at him and I told him, I said, Michael, I want you to train me. I want you to fill me with whatever task you have me to do. I want to do that. Don't hold back. Basically what I was saying. Don't hold back anything from, from me learning, from me growing. I had that desire in my heart. That's what I wanted to do. And I did all kinds of work projects there and building and using my hands and, and thinking of different things to do and, and, and helping out in the ministry there. And then I started to grow more spiritually and started to read my Bible more. And God was speaking to my heart more. And I was able to do moderation in the services and do preaching. And, uh, and so I was really started to grow in all that. And God's word was speaking to my heart differently. I, I've experienced um, different dreams that I had in Germany. And I remember one time I was there and uh, I had a dream that I was seeing a, a lamb in my dream. And I saw it like a, a multiple times. And finally, the last time that I saw it, the, the lamb came up to me and I embraced it and I like, I, I hugged it and I, and I could feel it. I could feel the warmth. I could feel the head of the lamb right here. And I could feel the, the fur of that. And it was so real. And I knew that that was God's love for me. How much he was always with me, that he will be with me in all of this. Because I did go through you know, challenges while I was in teen, uh, while I was in Germany. You know, I, I spent time alone a lot also. You know, in holidays, they had Christmas. And in, in, in Germany, they, they celebrate more on the, the 24th instead of the 25th. We, America, we celebrate 25th Christmas. That's the big day. And uh, so I was always with family at that time. We were always together. And, you know, my dad would read from the Bible to us and stuff. And so we always had family. We ate together and stuff. But I was alone there in Germany in that time. And uh, so I had to deal with those things. It was good for me. And, and to go through those kind of things, to overcome that and to grow more spiritually for what God is going to have for my life. 
And uh, as I was going through that, I ended up, uh, we built a church there and I was building the Bethany Revival Church. This big, great old barn was there and we built the church and I was so dedicated to all that. I was building everything. Every day I was there, I had such a desire to be used by God because I knew what I came from. I knew what my life was and the drugs that I was into. Man, I was willing to do whatever it took to be used by Him. Every opportunity, I wanted to take that. But, but my time there, the most greatest thing that God had ever done to me in that time was to bring a godly woman into my life, who is now my wife, <laughs> Taisia. She is the one, it was why I can do what I'm doing now, was her. Before I left, in that time that I was home from Teen Challenge, I was home for a month before I went to Germany, I said one prayer to God. I said, Lord, if you have a woman out there for me, you will bring it, you will bring her to me when I am ready for that. When I am the man that I need to be to have the wife, you will bring her to me. I said that prayer and I left that. I was spending time with uncle and auntie while they were here there for that time. And uh, they were telling me, keep praying for a wife. And I thought to myself, I did pray for a wife, you know, and they're like, just keep seeking God for that. Keep praying. And, you know, we're spending time together. And <laughs> uncle Yesapato, my dad was there. He looks at my dad and he goes, wouldn't it be great? If your boy came back with a German wife, and my dad, he, he lit up, and he's like, that would be awesome. I don't know, he didn't even know why he said that, but uncle said that to my dad. We didn't know exactly what the Lord was all going to do in that time, but when we were there, and I was going through all that in the, program, or in the ministry of love and care there, and having those opportunities to preach and stuff, and I remember one time when I was alone at that Christmas time, I know now why God wanted me to be alone. And I was doing some works around the house and I felt God place Taisia in my thoughts and in my heart just to pray for her. And her mother was around to pray for both of them. So I was doing that, I was praying for them. I was started to pray for them and, and, I, and I see her often also. You know, she comes to the services every week and I see her. I've talked with her before and stuff. And uh, so we kind of have like a friendship and everything. And uh, very beautiful to me. Very beautiful. But I, I didn't want just that to consume me. I, I went through all that in my relationships with women. I was only with them because I was attracted to them. That's all, we, uh, all I had with that. But I, I wanted it to be God's way. God's desire. And when I was looking at Taisia, I thought there was something more with her. And I wanted to know about that. I wanted to pursue that and because I was praying for it. And I wanted to do it the right way, the godly way. And of course, I'm, in, I'm under leadership. I'm, I'm under authority there. Michael, he's my leader there. And uh, I was talking with him and I, said, I sat down with him and I said, Michael, I feel that God is bringing me to this girl. Taisia keeps putting her on my heart. I don't know what to do. I need to do something about it. I don't want to miss that. 
Because I'm almost done. I almost was finished with my discipleship program there in Germany. We were going to go to India, actually. He's sitting there and we're talking a little bit. And uh, I did have a desire to speak with uncle in German, or in India. And he says, why don't we talk to uncle when we go, back, when we go to India about that? And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And uh, when we went there, and uh, man, it was amazing. I, I sat down with uncle. I shared my heart with him. I felt that this was God. And then he, sh he sat down with Taisia and talked to him, talked to her about it. She was totally like, uh, really didn't know what to, was against it really at first. I was not what she wanted. She wanted uh, somebody who looked different. And uh, she knew my background, where I was from, what I was delivered, the drugs and everything. And uh, have to leave Germany to come to America. All these thoughts that she had. And uh, it's a big risk, you know. It was just left with her, actually, to pray and to think on that, to pray on that. And uh, when I was told that, I was like, okay, I'll leave it like that because that's what I asked God for. I wanted to be patient with all that. And I left that there. And uh, for a whole month, yeah, I would think about it, but I never called uncle and said, hey, what's going on with it? And, you know, have you talked to her? Can you talk to her? I left it all in God's hands. And I didn't, I didn't want to disturb what was already in motion. And uh, I get a phone call from uncle one day and he says, are you still thinking about that girl? And I said, yes, uncle, I am. And he says, why don't you uh, take her out to dinner sometime? And I said, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. I preached in the church actually. And that Sunday I asked her, I said, would you like to go out to dinner with me? And I knew when I was gonna go out in this date that it was gonna be more than just a date there. I wanted to, it to be more because I knew that this was from God. And we sat down at the dinner table there and we're, we're talking with each other. And it was the presence of the Lord really encountering us there. And I never had an experience like that with a woman before. Such godly conversations. This is all we were talking about with God and everything. And I was making it a point in my heart. I said, I have to open up to her to give her the real reason why I wanted to meet with her in the first place. She went to the bathrooms, the dinner plates are done, and I'm thinking, oh Lord, how am I gonna get more time? What should I do? Should I order dessert and this and that? And then out of nowhere, the waitress comes with the dessert and she puts it down on the table. She says, this is for free. In Germany, given a free dessert, it's, uh, it's unheard of. I couldn't believe that that was how it was like, thank you, Lord. They put it down. Taisia came back. She was surprised. She goes, did you order dessert? I said, no, they just brought it. They brought it here. God, Daddy was looking out for me, trying to give me some more time. I opened my heart to her. And I said, I felt that God was calling you to me. And everything that's happening right now, I feel that this is the Lord. We went out like another time. And I think within like three weeks, we already decided to, to marry. And uh, within three months, we got married. Within three months, we got married. And God organized everything. He put it all together. And it was really, truly amazing. And, but if it wasn't for God bringing her into my, that was the, that was the greatest thing that I got out of Germany. Now, Isaiah, you are back in the States with your wife. You have a child. 
Life yeah. continues to be amazing for yeah. you, and God is doing a lot. But I wanted to take a, a couple of minutes and and just talk about your role here in Vermont because you are now leading the ministry here in Vermont, the yeah. the branch of Love and Care Ministries. Take us through that really quickly, yeah. like. How how did that happen? You know, because you're you're 28 years old, <laughs> five years since you had that moment with Jesus, and now you're leading a church, you're leading a ministry. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I was supposed to be four months in Germany. I stayed 17 months in Germany. One was because the pandemic happened, is one, and the other one was because I married that beautiful Russian German woman. And we weren't actually allowed to go back to US because of the restrictions with the flights and the airports and things. We ended up getting the legal marriage in Germany, and this is how we were able to go back to US. And when we would go back, I would actually pick up the responsibility of Love and Care Ministries. Uncle shared that, Uncle Yasipadam, he shared that with me. So I knew that this is what God was calling me to do, that this was my work. This was going to be my life now, that I would come back to Love and Care Ministries and pick up the responsibility of Love and Care Ministries here in the U.S. And uh, so when we came back, there was um, actually two buildings that we have here uh, on Silver Street in Bennington. And one of them is this big, beautiful, gray building, old Victorian home, and uh, needed a lot of repairs in that. And uh, I jumped on that. I started repairing, I started fixing up the homes, getting them ready, and having a desire that people would move into the house to accommodate people who come into the ministry, you know, discipleship training and things like that. And uh, I started to pick up that responsibility and we started Friday night prayer services. And uh, my wife and I were staying in one of the ministry homes there, Bethany House of Hope, which is our yellow building right next to that. And uh, so we started doing Friday night services inside our living room, actually. And we were having prayer services there and, and meetings there and things like that. And uh, they were already doing the hot dog outreach. That was something that we took back uh, when we left Germany the first time, my dad actually started to do that here. And uh, so I took up the responsibility into leading those things. And uh, being and, and making sure everything was, was going and that the meetings were happening and was preaching through the meetings and stuff. And then we dedicated our first church, Bethany Revival Church, which is um, now there. And uh, we started that in November 2021, 2021, we started that, Bethany Revival Church. And uh, November 27th is when we started the church there. So I started pastoring that and uh, became the pastor and uh, was leading the ministry of love and care and building the projects here and everything and taking up that responsibility. Yeah, it was amazing. Isaiah, so much little time, so much has happened, and I'm sure there's so much more that's going to happen <laughs> in the years to come. So I'm sure there's not going to be the last time that we're going to um, speak and record testimonies from you. But for, for people who are watching right now, who are in that same struggle that you were in your life before Jesus, mm. uh, what's a word of encouragement that you can give to that person that is struggling with drugs actively right now? You know, 
when I was going through that, the addiction, and I was attending uh, AA meetings and NA meetings and things like that, and nothing against them, you know. But I never understood how people could always say, I'm in recovery, I've been in recovery for 10 years now. And they're always in this recovery. You know, the word recovery means you're on your way to becoming back together, being mended back together in that recovery. I never understood that. I always thought, when do you recover from that? When do you get completely free from that addiction, the thoughts and all those things? When do you really recover from those drugs? The answer that I found was Jesus Christ is able to lift you up, able to recover you from any kind of addiction like that especially the heroin like that, how deep I was in that addiction. There is hope in that. There is a way out through Jesus Christ. That's what delivered me. His word that he has for me, his Bible, his scriptures is what changed my heart when I applied that to my life. There is a way out of the addiction and that's through Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, says, therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Man, that's what I wanted in my life. God's word is able to change your heart. He is able to do that. There is a way out through him. Now, Isaiah, for those who are watching, who felt that same hopelessness at one point. Maybe they didn't deal with drugs or anything like that. And in their walk with God, they, they don't know where where it's going. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't see that road. Kind of like when you were at the end of Teen Challenge, not knowing what was going to happen. What is an, a word of encouragement that you can give to that person that watch and that is doubting what the future holds as mm-hmm. they're walking through this process with God? You know, God's word says that his faithfulness endureth forever. God is faithful. That's his characteristic. That's who he is. When you seek him and you ask him to reveal that to you, he is faithful to establish your steps. That's what is a good future and a hope that he has for you. That's what lies in God's hands. He is well able to establish your future, to reveal His calling for you, to glorify His name, to start where you are at. God will lift you up. He will exalt you when your heart is for Him. That's what really helped me, is to know that, to just continue to really place your trust in Him. I think that's the biggest thing that I was struggling with in the beginning is the trust, always wanting to figure it out on my own or try to be able to accomplish it by myself. But I know now that God is with me, that I can trust Him. When you place that trust in Him and your faith in Him, He he will always remain faithful to that. And He will reveal those things to whoever seeks Him in that way. Hmm. Isaiah, who is Jesus to you? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He's the one that delivered me. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would not be here today. You wouldn't know me if it wasn't for the Savior who stayed on the cross, who took all those beatings, who placed all my sins upon His back, 
those people that were beating him, those people that were whipping him, they were my representative. I was there. My sins was upon him. And he took that heavy, rugged cross. He carried that for me. He laid that cross down. He was nailed to that cross. Jesus never uttered a word. He was lifted up on that cross. And when Jesus said that it is finished for you, Isaiah, this way to salvation is for you, Isaiah. Your sins that you have had, those burdens that are on your hearts, I came to deliver those things from you, Isaiah. I came to give you new life and life in abundance. I don't have to be separated from God anymore. But because Jesus said, Isaiah, I have done it all for you. This blood that I shed, this was for you, Isaiah. That's my Savior, Jesus. He is my Lord. Isaiah, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. you. He has good thoughts towards you. A future and a hope God has for you. I want to tell whoever is watching this, whoever is, has hopelessness in their heart, whoever feels alone, whoever may be struggling with addiction, my brother and my sister, I want to tell you, I know exactly what that's like. I know exactly what that's like. You are not alone. Jesus is there for you. And He has a plan for your life. He wants to prosper you. He wants to lift you up. There are many people hurting in this world. And the love of Jesus is coming after them. He loves you. He cares for you. I was just sharing with my wife, everything that I have in my life is all from Jesus. This shirt that I have, this home that I live in, this place that I am now, the food that I eat, the glass that I drink water from, all of those things, the baby that I have, all of those things have been given to me from Jesus Christ. I would have none of those things. If it wasn't for him, I would be nothing. Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. Don't give up on my Jesus. Isaiah, lastly, if you could just pray for whoever is watching right now. Yeah. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you sent your only begotten son Lord, that whomsoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the love that you have for us, Lord. When you were looking at the cross, when you were looking at the beatings you were going to go through, Lord, you saw the joy, Lord, that people coming to you, Lord. God, I just lift up whoever is struggling with the addiction, Lord, with the bondage from the enemy, from the devil, Lord. I pray that you would encounter them in such a tangible way, God. Lord, that you would meet them exactly where they are at now, Father. Lord, to deliver them, to give back hope into the hearts of the people, Lord. Forgiveness of the sins, Lord God. To lift them up, God.
to strengthen their hearts, to impact millions of lives, Lord, to touch nations, Lord God. You can do all these things, God. So I pray, people who are struggling, people who are in darkness, God, that you would comfort them in this time, Lord. That you would give them the peace, Lord God, that surpasses all understanding, Lord. Jesus will never forget to give you all glory and honor, God. Pray for those people to come out of that, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.